Welcome to the Hope New Podcast, a podcast for parents of children impacted by disabilities, where we believe there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. Your hosts are Jonathan and Sarah McGuire. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Jonathan. Our listeners may have heard me talk about my experience with helping lead a trauma healing workshop in a refugee camp in South Sudan. This is just one year after South Sudan became a new country. One of the topics that we worked through with the refugees is planning for a future when you are still living in a state of crisis. It was difficult for many of the refugees to plan for a future when they had family members who were still living in a war-torn area, and they personally were living in the refugee camp. Since starting Hope Anew, we have seen this to be true for many of our families as well. Many parents are scared by the future and what that means for their child impacted by disabilities. They are scared by the unknown of what will happen after they are gone. Yes, this is so true. And that is why I am excited about today's interview with Rob Rubel. Rob is a certified financial planner, father of three, including Sarah, who has Down syndrome, which, by the way, is a great name. Love (laughs) the name. Anyway, Rob focuses on financial planning for families with a special needs family member. He has most recently written a book titled Financial Freedom for Special Needs Families, and he is about to release his new book, Special Needs Trusts in 30 Days. So this can often be a very intimidating topic for many people, and Rob really breaks it down and makes it very doable, understandable, and practical. So we are excited to have him joining us today from his office in Colorado Springs, Colorado. All right, Rob, welcome to the Hope New Podcast. Jonathan and Sarah, I am excited to be here today. It is so wonderful to have you here. It's such a valuable topic, and I know our families will greatly benefit from this discussion. As we get going, can you introduce us to your family? Sure. I am the single father of three great kids. I've got a son, Benji, who's just about 19. I have a daughter, Sarah, who has Down syndrome. She is 17. She'll be 18 in March. And I have Annie, who's almost 14 years old. Excellent. Sounds like a wonderful family. Can you tell us what those first few years were like as a new dad with a daughter with Down syndrome? It was a crazy, crazy time for me. I grew up in a generation where we really didn't have contact with people with developmental disabilities. When I went to school, classrooms weren't particularly integrated. In fact, they weren't integrated at all. And so people with Down syndrome and autism and other developmental disabilities were not exposed to us, and I was never exposed to them. And I just didn't have any family or or really close contact with anybody. Those first few years were an incredible time of learning, for one thing, learning what it meant for a person who was one year old, two years old, three years old, and then it was going to grow into an adult with developmental disabilities and Down syndrome, and what that could possibly look like. And it was also incredibly stressful. My daughter had some significant health issues right at birth. She was in the NICU for six weeks, I think it was. She had heart surgery at about six months and pneumonia one year. And so there were some times there that were extremely difficult for us as a family as we were learning both what to do on the health side and then also what we needed to be doing differently to help give her the best life possible. So stressful. Her brother was only 18 months older, and he was just running around like a maniac all the time. And so they were exhausting, stressful, but also important times and just learning to become a different father and uh, a different person than maybe I had. Mm. 
that'd be a huge learning process. I can't imagine, especially with not having any anybody that you know or any contact with uh, with those that uh, that have gone through this journey before. So, wow, my hats off to you for navigating that. One just amazing thing that did happen, and it happened right away when she was in the hospital, was how many people we then got introduced to, my wife and I, that had family members with special needs or were experts in their fields or had some contact. And it was like this hidden world. All of a sudden, the door opened and there were a whole group of great people waiting on the other side to meet us. And it was just, that was a different experience, totally unexpected, and one that happened very, very quickly and one that, frankly, I'm eternally grateful. So there were some difficult times, but there was also a great sense of learning, but also just this new community that we became part of. Wow, that's an incredibly huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, were you in financial planning before the birth of your daughter, or was was that something that's that's happened since then, or when did that start? Yeah, this is a second career for me. I started basically at the time my son was born. I used to be in publishing, and I worked with my dad for many years and ran a small business here in Colorado Springs as well. And I think I'd been a financial planner 18 months or something like that, maybe a little bit less, actually, when she was born. And so I was working with typical families and just learning what people needed and what I could be doing to help at the time. Wow. So how has the needs of your daughter shaped you as a financial planner? Well, it turned out that there are many aspects of financial planning look the same for families with special needs members and, and typical families. But then, like in anything, as you dig a little bit deeper, there's all kinds of changes that have to be there as well. And so it gave me a chance to really become an expert in one area as opposed to, I feel like I did a good job for everybody, but there were just so many differences here that I needed to become aware of. And um, so it really became a chance for me to learn more just what I needed to do for my family and then turn around and be able to help others. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'll just say from somebody who is not on the financial side (laughs) of anything, we are so thankful for you and your expertise. Yes, definitely. So can you tell us a little bit about what special needs planning is and why it's so important for families to act on that now? Yeah, there are a couple of big differences. The most important one is that families who've got special needs members really have to consider applying for and then preserving government benefits. And there are two biggies that everybody talks about. There's supplemental security income, which is SSI. And so my daughter is 17. And when she turns 18, as long as she doesn't have any resources in her name, we can talk more about that. She's eligible for an income benefit under SSI. So if she has a qualifying disability and basically doesn't have any money, she'll get a certain $783 a month in most states. Some states are a little bit more of income. And so that's important for her to be able to to live and have some food and a tiny bit for entertainment as well. So if we don't take steps to prepare on the financial planning side and we don't apply for those benefits, we're giving up a benefit that is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars alone over the course of somebody's lifetime. The other big reason, and just cut me off when you have questions, but the other big one is a group of services that are funded by Medicaid. And Medicaid means so many different things. On one hand, it's health insurance. And so when she turns a certain age, if she's no longer covered under my insurance, she's going to need health insurance. And so she can get Medicaid health insurance. But also most states have benefit plans that we call comprehensive services here in Colorado. 
that might give her some support to live independently or help her with taking medications if she's living in a host home of some kind. And so these Medicaid-funded services, frankly, are far more valuable over time than even the monthly income benefits. And so special needs planning means taking some action and steps to preserve those benefits. And it doesn't matter if your family member is one year or two year or three years old, there's certain steps to take there. And then if they're 30, 40, or 50 years old, sometimes you have to take some different steps. So those are the two big reasons why special needs planning is different, of course. And sorry, I'm going on a little bit long, is that most families want to save some money because the government benefits don't pay for a whole lot. So really what we're trying to do is create a high quality of life for life for every family member, and that involves some additional savings. And then how we structure our estate plan and savings accounts and investment accounts looks a little bit different too. There's a lot of differences, but the big pieces are how do we preserve government benefits? Wow. Just that snippet you shared there, I'm I'm already learning things. So that's that's, uh, so valuable. Now, as families come to you, at what point are they coming to you to have these conversations? Is it usually when their child's in their teenage years or at what point and what concerns and fears do you see them coming to you with? Yeah, there's definitely some times where people get serious about planning. A big time is right around 17 or 18. Another big time is if somebody loses a job, you know, nobody wants to think about financial planning of any kind, right? We'd rather go on with our lives. It's always in the back of our heads, but it usually takes some kind of event for people to come to my office or an estate planning attorney's office. And so sometimes it's right at the birth of the child. Some people are just, hey, we've got to make some changes. Six months into it, they realize they can do it, and off they go. Sometimes it's when kiddos hit schools and parents finally have a chance to breathe for the first time. You know that, hey, my kids are in school. I can start thinking again a little bit. 18, because there's issues potentially around guardianship, becomes a big time. Unless there's some other intervening life event, as people are getting prepared for their own retirement, sometimes they just need to look at the total picture including what their future plans are for their family member with a disability. Now, let's say I'm that parent who I'm in my 60s, 70s, you know, my child's adult age. Is it too late for me to start looking at financial planning? Oh, gosh, it's never too late. And again, sometimes that's the driving factor when people start to look at, eh, maybe not in their 60s and 70s, especially how people are so much healthier and, and live longer. Uh, 60s and 70s, they are starting to figure out, gee, they may be 10, 20 years away from needing help themselves at some point. And so they have to really, at that point, pivot and say, what am I going to do for my family member who's an adult in their 30s or 40s at this point? The generations really play a role in that. That sort of greatest generation really took care of kids at home. And these kids are now in their 50s as well, so they're not kids anymore. That group really needs to kind of are looking at what's going to happen because their kids are outliving them in many cases or will. You know, for that next generation, that Generation X sort of family of which I'm in, again, my daughter's still living at home, but I'm looking for her own independence and I expect to put those plans in place earlier rather than later. I love her, but, you know, she'll have a better life if she doesn't live with dad all and mom all the time. And, uh, right, if we want all our kids at some point to sort of get out and see the world and so hopefully we'll have figured out better plans for her but certainly that generation of people in their late 60s, 70s, they need to get moving. It's never too late. I started working with somebody in her mid to late 70s. Um, and I could just see from working together, her stress level would go down every couple of months as her plans were put into place. And it was exciting to see. It wasn't all the financial side. It was everything else she was also doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think for so many of us parents, like we know that that's a need, but we don't have the first clue about how to go about figuring it out. So we just put it off and like, we'll, we'll get to yeah. it someday. We'll get to it someday. And it's just the stressor that builds and it's this fear we have of the future. So what would you say is like the first step to take to start building a good plan for the future? Yeah. Let me just jump onto what you're saying, Sarah. It's exactly what happens. People just, yeah, I'll put it, I'll do it later. It seems hard. It seems painful. I'm afraid of it. There's a million different reasons why. I always say we have other things going through our heads. And in my workshops, I talk about, you know, Lady Gaga song just like gets stuck in your head. And you're like, oh, let me think about planning. I'm like, oh, this is so catchy. I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> and we just, you know, we just find other things to think about and do. But the stress does build up. And when people, take that first action, which I'll get through in a second, and then they take it with somebody that can help them along the way, whether it's a professional like me or whether it's a, you know, a religious person in their life or other family or friends, you can visibly see the stress go down. And so the planning is all about creating a future life for every family member, but never underestimate how important it is for you as a parent or you as a, a guardian or somebody taking care of somebody to live a great life as well. And so um, I'm getting a little bit lost in your question, but so it's a, one of my long answers to a short question. The first step is to carve an hour out of a day, sometime this week or next, with your spouse or significant other, if you have one, or even if it's just on your own, and get what I call the world's greatest financial planning tool, a pen and a piece of paper, and just start to write down all these different things that you need to do and want to do and how you will feel when, when some of those are taking place. And, and so those are the first steps is let's just start having that conversation. And sometimes the piece of paper is the place to have that conversation and see it all at once. It's a little overwhelming, but we're already all overwhelmed anyway. So let's get it all out. Yeah. I, I like that. And I've been learning. I've been in an online course lately and they talk about micro commitments and how when you're facing something that's overwhelming, just do the next little step that's small that you you can't fail at it. Like make it so small that you can't fail. That sounds just like it. Get a piece of paper out and write down some things you need to do. You can't fail at that, right? Yeah. And it's a step in the right direction. And then it makes the next step a little easier. Yeah. And whatever you write down, nobody can take it away from you either. It's how you feel at that moment. And like you said, you, you're not failing because you're writing down what's important to you. And I love that micro commitment. I'm going to start to use that to some degree. But a part of what I also want people to write down are those goals, the things that they want to have happen in life. And it is moving from that overwhelm of day to day to where do I want to be? And we can't really develop strategies, financial planning, legal or other until we have some sense of what that future looks like a little bit. And for me, and I think in the workshops, what I see is that that starting to look at a positive future gives people hope in that they can get it all done. That's what draws them. You know, sometimes our future is out there pulling us along and we just haven't said yes to it yet. And the more we can do that, the better off we'll be. We will return to our interview in just a moment. But first I want to ask you, who is your tribe? Do you have a group that gets it? Does your support group offer masterclasses from qualified professionals that you have access to at any time? Is it a positive, hope-filled, and encouraging group? We want to invite you to the Hope Anew online community. 
The goal is that together, we are building the most encouraging, real, hope-filled way for parents of children impacted by special needs and disability to engage with a group that gets it. You can have access to the community anywhere that you have your smartphone or computer. It's a private group, not hosted on Facebook, and you will find daily questions, monthly themes, regular masterclasses that you can access at any time in the resource library, and most importantly, you will have a Christ-centered group that gets it. A laugh together, cry together, pray together community that understands what you're going through without you having to explain a thing. A place where you can be real, be encouraged, and encourage others. You can join by going to hopeanew.com, and we look forward to seeing you there. Let's say Sarah and I have sat down together. We've taken this hour. We wrote down our goals and what we want to do. What should we do next? What are some basic financial steps that we can take after that? Yep. This is the process that I've created over time. It's called Blueprints for Special Needs, and it's in my book, Financial Freedom for Special Needs Families, and it's exactly laid out. The next two steps are sort of jumping onto the first one is that let's prioritize some of those goals that we're writing out a little bit. Again, when we're writing things down, it's important to write down everything that comes to mind, but then to start to figure out where do we want to go and divide that up into different parts of life, whether they're special needs or whether they're retiring, put some categories around those. And then the third step is the one nobody ever wants to hear, which is let's get everything in one place. I call it getting organized. There's a checklist in the book. I don't think it's on my website, but it's easy enough to put one together of let's get all those financial legal documents in one place. And then the next step, the building block, especially needs trust, is extremely important. But the one that's hardest for people, actually, a lot of times, just get all that stuff together. And whether it's in this drawer here, and I left something in my office, or I have to download accounts, you're going to need it to get your financial future moving forward. And without it, a good financial planner or a good estate planning attorney can't actually do anything. And I've seen every kind of organizational, quote unquote, system around. But find a place, put it all together. There's a reason for it. And then the big next step really for most people is to get a special needs trust in place. Again, I'm not an attorney, but the trust is a mechanism that we can use to protect those government benefits in the event of our untimely death or in the event that we're doing some significant estate planning today. What I do like people to focus on is actionable items, and everybody can sit down with a piece of paper and a pen, organize that list a little bit, and get their financial stuff together before moving forward. Yeah. yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I'd like to follow up a little bit when you say after those first basic steps of pulling everything together, getting it in one spot, getting some organization around it, at some point looking at a special needs trust. Can you tell us more about what is a special needs trust? What does that look like? What does it take to set one of those up? Yeah, there's a couple of pieces of what's often called an estate plan, which you know everybody thinks I don't need an estate plan. I hardly have $2 to put together. But most of us have some assets at some point in our life, whether it's a house or a car even or retirement account, life insurance. We have some things that we're building some financial wealth in. And if we were to die, we have to decide or say, where do we want that money to go? And most states treat things very similarly, that if you're married and you don't have an estate plan, everything goes to your surviving spouse. And that makes a whole lot of sense. And so in a state plan, you'll get a will and the will says, where does my stuff go? Who gets my money, my house, my cars, my artwork, whatever I happen to own. And then 
for parents who are maybe predeceasing their children, we also say in the estate plan, okay, if my primary beneficiary, maybe my spouse, is no longer alive, then who gets my money? And so then in my case, I have three children. And without a formal estate plan, the state would probably come and say that money gets split equally amongst your three children. And I have a daughter with Down syndrome, and she would get some money. And because there's a $2,000 resource test for applying for, or not applying for, but getting SSI, and if she had ten, twenty, a hundred, or $200,000, she'd be over it, she would lose her benefits. And so in a special needs estate plan, the share for the person with a developmental disability, whether that person's a child or an adult, goes into this certain kind of trust. And so I always say families who have even more than a few dollars you know, in assets probably want to get a special needs trust in place and say, who's going to get my stuff and have part of that go into that trust. It's just a way of preserving and protecting benefits. And it's hugely important. An estate plan might cost $1,000. It might cost $5,000. Let's say it costs $10,000, which I don't think is the case for most people. We're protecting hundreds of thousands and potentially millions of dollars of benefits by having that in place. So it's just a to me, it's a have to have, not a should have. And there's a lot more. We could go on for hours and hours and hours about it. But at the basic, it's a place for money to go when I die and uh, that share preserves benefits. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm assuming then a lawyer sets that up just like they would a will type of thing. Like you go to a lawyer to set up your will or estate plan. Yep. I always recommend people go find a good attorney and do that. You know, somebody who's done it more than a few times. Excellent. Now. What would you say to that parent who's too overwhelmed to think about the future right now? They're saying, you know what? We're in the midst of survival mode right now. This is just one thing that's going to stress me out too much to think about. Yeah, I get it. Because I was a new financial planner when my daughter was born, I think it was just part of my wired to be ready to think about some of these different things. But it's one of those, we have to find a way and, and there's lots of different ways to get there. One of the things I do see is that financial stress and legal stress are just another stressor in people's lives. And sometimes when we're overwhelmed, we have to identify something that we can quickly fix or at least make some progress on. And what I think I see from my life for certain, when I can take some small steps in some areas that are helping me not feel so good, and all of a sudden I've made some small progress, just like when you said a micro commitment or getting something done. We start to build a new skill set, and part of that skill set is not feeling so overwhelmed over the time. We've taken a small element of control back in our lives. We've made some decisions. We've grown. And if we can just for a second think, gee, we'll be a different person a year from now by taking these actions, you know, I just think we have to go ahead and do it. I just see over time that financial stress is such a big part of people's overall stress, and it's one that is highly actionable. It's not always fixable quickly because it takes time to get out of debt, save emergency funds and build for the future. But the but taking action can be done very, very quickly and it feels really good. Yeah, I like that distinction that it's not always uh that you can't can't necessarily fix it immediately, but you can start applying action to it. And I can see just how that having tangible steps can reduce your overall stress levels as well. So that's excellent. Well, and that kind of answers my next question, because I was wondering about, you know, the the state of our country and people's finances so often, and, and young families who are having young kids, 
you know, they're not necessarily in a place to start saving and investing and, um, you know, they're needing to pay off their cars and their house and their school loans and things like that before they can, you know, think about, you know, retirement planning and providing for their child after they're gone. So what would you say to, yeah, the young family who's in that stage? Before the COVID crisis came along, my answer would have been slightly different than it is now, although we're getting to the same place. Before COVID, I would have said, do everything you can to get one to $3,000 in the bank, bank credit union savings under your mattress. It doesn't matter where it is. But start that little bit of a discipline of whether it's saving $5 a month or $50 a month or $100 a month, whatever it is for that new family, getting very serious about putting some money away so that when something happens, like you lose a car tire or you break a window, it's not another crisis. It's not like I'm overwhelmed again. I have $300. I go get a new set of tires or whatever they cost these days, and I move on, and then I start to rebuild. So for new families, we're feeling financial stress as well as, you know, sleepless and everything else that goes on with newer kiddos. Having, again, depends on the family, but at least $1,000, but maybe even up to $3,000 of just, this is there for that, not big time emergency, but those little small things that can really feel like they're steps back. That's, that's my biggest piece of advice. With COVID, as a financial planner, we're always talking about emergency funds. And emergency funds are having three to six months of expenses. So rent or mortgage, utilities, food, you know, the basics, also sitting in a bank account. And there that if I lose my job or my income goes down for some reason or there's a medical emergency or something else that happens, I have time to breathe and figure out what I'm going to do next, replace the income if I lose income or replace the money in the expense. And so that was always the case. But I think with COVID, we saw how much more important it is that for people that had three to six months of their basic living expenses in, in their bank account that's not touched for anything else, they had a different degree of stress and financial peace than those who didn't have that. So again, two steps there. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is <laughs> COVID sure does bring more reality yeah. to that. It's like, wow, we're actually yeah, living yeah, that right is. now. That's a very interesting perspective. Now I'm actually gonna change gears here a little bit. At the beginning of our podcast, we say there's beauty in the journey and purpose in the pain. How have you seen this to be true in uh, your journey and as you come alongside families? I just love that expression. I, I don't, if it's one you created, that's great. You should put it on business cards and T-shirts and everything because uh, it just rings so true. And the pain is something none of us ever want to have or embrace whether that's skinning our knees or emotional pain or over the pain of being overwhelmed. And if we can ever step back and just look at everything, uh, kind of like we talked about at the beginning here, everything that we've learned, the people that we become is an expression that I use more and more in the financial planning work that I do. Because all the things we've just been talking about is those micro steps that people take or that first saving of $100 into a bank or that putting money into a retirement account. Again, those are financial steps. It's starting to achieve life's goals. Whenever we do those, they're difficult decisions. They come with that inflection or, or pivot moment. That's not easy to do. But then when we get to pull ourselves out of it by 
a little bit of time or a realization that we've become different and and more accomplished people in some way. It really is a beautiful thing. I've never thought of it in terms of beauty in the way I would say a painting art or photograph or, or a great piece of music. But there's beauty in the way that we live our lives. And some people have a knack for it, but we all have the potential to look back at those highlights and look back at how that change has made us better. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. That's very helpful. Same is true for for our lives. You know, as we as we look back, we can totally see how our lives are better and how it's a, a work of art of a different kind. That's, that's neat. Yeah, and I've heard that from so many parents of kids with special needs, particularly moms, because that's who I talk to most. But just how we're not the same people that we were before, and how grateful we are that we're not the same people that we were before and how this journey has changed us beautifully. When my Pharaoh was born and we opened the door to this new world of uh, people and families and, and learning, I kept hearing families say, I never expected to have a family member with autism or Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. And I wouldn't change a thing. And it was like, they were all reading from the same script mm-hmm. and they were saying the same thing. And, this was a time when my daughter was in the hospital and it was extremely painful not knowing whether she was going to make it or not. And then what her life was going to be like if she did or not. And or when she did. And, um, and a big part of it was just that heartache that you have for a helpless person. And part of it is, Hey, my life is going to be different. And I'm one of those people now that says exactly the same thing of, I can't believe how great my life is and how wonderful it is as a result of, well, each of my children, but especially Sarah, because I've learned so much as a person, as a father, and and met all these great people. So, Yeah, that's so true. And I don't know how it was for you, but for me, at the beginning of the journey, when I was just in the worst of it, and I would hear that, I'm like, have these people fallen off their rocker? You know, like what is going on in their mind? I could not wrap my mind around that at all because I would have done just about anything to get out of the situation we were in and just fix it. Same. Yeah. Same. Now you gave some great tips at the beginning of the podcast here. You know, the starting place of sitting down for an hour, setting those goals, making that micro commitment there. Now I'm sure our our listeners are going to want to learn more. And so I'm going to recommend that they go out and purchase your book. Can you uh, share a little bit what they'll gain from uh, from purchasing your book? I know just in glancing through, I saw some great worksheets in there that were very helpful and things like that. Would you give a, a sort of an overview of how the how your book will will help our listener? Yeah, I think it gives some structure to people who are not sure what to do next. Very often, when people come to my office, they already have a lot of financial products. They might have an IRA and a four hundred one k and some form of life insurance and some savings, and none of it fits together particularly well. They have a will they did 15 years ago before they had children in a different state that they don't live in anymore. And so a lot of times those pieces are out there, but they're just not in any particular sense of harmony. And so what the book does, whether it's for people that are just getting started or people that have already started but aren't sure what's done, it just puts some structure behind it. And the worksheets then give people a chance to step back and reflect and maybe it's an hour a week once you start looking through the book of conversation starters with spouses and significant others. And then, uh, you know, here's what I have to focus on next, get that done and then move to the next, get that done. And so it, it provides, I think the, the biggest element of it is that if people just follow the steps along the way, 
it takes a big part of that. I'm not sure where I am or what I'm supposed to be doing next. And then just give them the reasons why behind some of these different things. That sounds incredibly practical. Yeah. Now, I do want to mention that later this week, you will be doing a live masterclass in our online community. So I want to invite all our listeners to participate that. Join the community if you haven't joined. You can and do that just by going to hopeanew.com and following the buttons there. So and Rob will be there live in person, virtually, and he'll be available to answer your questions and uh, have some great discussion there. So I'd encourage our listeners to join, buy your book, then also uh, come to that masterclass there. Now, not all our listeners live in Colorado Springs and they don't all have access to you. So how would they go about finding a financial planner that is, well, that that would be a good fit for their family? Yeah, no, it's a great question. In the book, I've got ways to look for both attorneys and financial planners, some basic questions to ask. So one thing I always recommend is people just go online and search questions to ask a financial planner. And there's no reason you shouldn't interview a few people. There are many financial planners who are independent, meaning they have their own companies or work for small companies. And there are many that work for big companies. And there's not necessarily one model that fits everybody best. But the thing that does drive, I think, the best planners from the, the rest of the pack that the best planners aren't product-focused. And so, especially in the special needs world, there are many that are focused on particular products that they think are best. And they may do some planning work on the front end, but they're kind of, their solutions all look the same at the end of the day. And so some of those questions have to be about where are people's compensations coming from and, you know, do they tend to focus on one specific product area or another? In addition to the questions of, do you have a good regulatory history um, do you have experience working with families like mine? How long have you been doing this? Um, just what's your general investment philosophy? And there's a lot of good questions to ask out there. And then, of course, because we want some sensitivity to, to the estate planning and how all these things are incorporated together, it does help to find somebody who's passionate about working with families with special needs members. Mm, good. Just so you know, I, I can work with people around the country, but very often people want personal visits. We have clients all over the place. Excellent. That's great news, too. And we will put your contact information in the show notes. Yes. We'll have contact information, link to your book, and all those those great resources in the show notes. So that is wonderful news. Well, Rob, this discussion has been very valuable. I've learned a lot. I can already see I need to sit down with you or somebody like you to address some of these, uh, these issues or uh, put a plan in place. And so this has been a good challenge and inspiring to me. So thank you so much for your time today. This has been a pleasure. I appreciate the work you're doing to help educate families, obviously in the area that I'm an expert in, but also, you know, help people emotionally and grow and, and become more spiritual and, and have other people to talk to because there's so much we can learn from each other. And one of the things that I learned early on was that I got great amounts of lift from other people who helped get me out of my own head and heart sometimes. And in that community was so important. So thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. 